0: always ask yourself what is my edge because when you're day trading from your basement at home there's another 100 million people who are competing against you and it is a competition if you're day trading and another person is day trading on the other side of your trade one of you will win and one of you will lose now there's arguments to suggest that day trading is is not always a zero-sum competition that everybody could win because some people have different time frames like a long-term investor might be liquidating his or her portfolio and you benefit from that by day trading it. So I'm not saying it's me versus them, but a lot of the, a lot of the daily activity in the market is a me versus them.
1: You're listening to the steady trade podcast, a podcast that inspires traders to make meaningful strides and pursue their passions. Your hosts are Tim Bowen. The lead trainer at Stocks to Trade Pro, Kim Ann Curtin, the Wall Street coach, and Steven Johnson, the up and coming trader who's always willing to learn. Together, we'll sit down with experts to talk about their process, the lessons they've learned, and discuss how all traders can level up their trading careers.
2: Welcome back to the Steady Trade Podcast, everyone. I am your host, Tim Bowen. Got an amazing episode for you today. Um You know, I, I kind of we, we talk about it in the podcast, but I have been a huge, huge fan of today's guest, and I really kind of look back when I was getting started on my on multiple journeys. Um first of all, my day trading journey. I, I found our, our today's guest early. In my day trading career, and then also when I was looking to really kind of make that change, uh, many of you, if you, if you've listened, you know I sold my business um, g seven years ago now. But uh, you know, you know, it was it, the, our today's guest was also instrumental in that decision, and I tell you, I think he's is is as is as much <laughs> of a must follow as there is out there. Today's guest is James. Altucher. Um, I've been reading his writing again, going back 10 years. He's got an amazing career. If you look at his history, entrepreneurship, finance, personal development, and he's as much of a free thinker as it gets out there. Now, some of his opinions may be unpopular. Um, we talk about a lot of those today. You know, one of them, a couple of the biggest ones are pretty polarizing. Subjects, uh, you know, number one, college, the, the value of a college education. And James is, is similar to my, to me, and, and I probably got my thoughts from him, to be honest. But, you know, unless you're going into an advanced technical field, you know, listen, if you're a doctor, please, if you're my doctor, I want you to have an advanced education. You know, if you're my engine, if you're engineering a bridge, that I'm driving ap- across, or an airplane that I am flying on. I mean, or or if you're representing me in a legal case. I mean, there are many instances where advanced degrees are very val- valuable. But if you're in one of the soft sciences, as they say, or or social sciences, or or whatever that is, wow. Um, there's just, I think a lot of people that are going to college that shouldn't be. And we talk about that today. I, I was one of those. I, uh, I, I distinctly remember. You know, last senior year of high school, and everyone was telling me to go to college, and I was kind of like, Well, why? You know, um, I've always been a big reader. I've you know, I didn't have the internet back then. Keep in mind, this is I graduated high school in 1992. Um, I wonder how different it would be if I did have the internet back then, but I was still reading books, I was still curious about the world, but I would look and I'd be like, College, I don't know. So, we talk about that a lot today, and then homeownership. Homeownership's another one that is very polarizing. And listen, I own my own home. I own, I actually own several homes because of the rental properties that I own. But, you know, if, but I'm also 50 years old, you know, I think that something that I think is almost exploitive is, is this idea of college debt and mortgage debt and auto debt. You know, if you're 20 years old, 25 years old, 29, 30 years old. And basically there's this whole machine trying to get you saddled down with debt. Um, it's one thing, if you if you have a job, a wife, kids, you like your school district, okay? That's a different scenario to say, okay, I'm going to set my roots here. I want the kids to go to this school for you know 18 years. So I'll get a mortgage. I'll, I'll build some equity in the house. But man... If you're 25, value your mobility. Take advantage of that. It's a great thing. And don't forget about taxes, maintenance, and insurance. If, you, if you're buying anything, those three will get you. So um, we hope you enjoy the podcast. It's is a really fun one. Kim and James actually go way back. They've got a great relationship. And I met James, as I mentioned, about 10 years ago. Told him about my situation and he looked me right in the eye and said, sell your business. And I did that about a year and a half later. I'm guessing, you know, I struggle with the timeline because it was 10 years ago. But I remember talking to James and I think about a year and a half later, I signed that deal and I chose to choose myself. And that's the, t- the title of, I think, James's best book. And I say it is a must read. So buy, choose yourself. Number one, read it. And I hope you enjoy today's podcast. As I mentioned in the introduction, welcome back to the Steady Trade Podcast. We have a guest that I've been looking forward to for almost ten years now. Uh, James Altucher is here with Kim and I today. Um, I'll just kind of start out with a brief story. You know, I started actively day trading back in 2007 after finding Tim Sykes, and many of you probably know Tim Sykes and James Altucher go way back. Um, I believe that's how I kind of stumbled across James back in those days. And, uh, you know, I was, I was trading part time, had a business, was crazy busy, but, but was kind of bored at that business and, and randomly bumped into James at, at one of Tim Sykes conferences. This is, I think maybe 2009, 2010, somewhere in there. And, um, you know, got, fortunately got the ability or got the chance to sit next to him at a at a dinner and we're chatting and we were talking about my business. My business was in, you know, the internet and telecommunications and uh he was like you need to get the hell out of there. And I was like, man, I've been thinking about it. And uh so it wasn't much later, year or so later, Choose Yourself came out and uh after I read that book, I thought about meeting James and what he said and I'm like, I'm gone. I I, I sold the business and I and allowed me to pursue my dreams and never look back. And I feel like I owe him a lot for that decision. And seven years later now, and I am I actually just turned 46 yesterday. And I, I often tell this story. This is the most fun, the most fulfilled I've had in my professional career. And I'm 46 years old. And a lot of that I owe to James and, and choose yourself. So,
0: wow, Tim, that that, that, go, that's go. such a great story. That's, I'm sorry, this is James. Thank yeah. you so much for having me on the podcast. By the way, I turn 52 tomorrow, so uh you know it's never it's never too late to do whatever you want. Like it's not it's not too late. But that's such that's so good to hear that you you quit your job and, and you started trading and doing this podcast. Life gets good when you use that inner compass to say, "Oh, this my, my heart is pulling me in this direction." And then you prepare for it. It doesn't happen overnight, but you, you took years. You transitioned from the, the this telecommunications business to what you love, and you learned the skills along the way, so you're able to make the the transition as risk free as possible. Exactly. But if you're always listening to that compass, it's happier than going against that inner compass. So I'm glad to hear you you did it.
2: <laughs> yeah, and that and that business was a startup, and you know we started it up. I started up, you know, classic garage story with a friend. <laughs> in the mid 90s and you know I loved it until the business got mature and and the, and the business is still there today they're still doing well but I was so bored because all it was was maintenance and and I was just you know I was I was just punching a card every day and then choose yourself and I'm like I'm learning from day trading from Tim Sykes I mean at that point you know YouTube's really getting going I mean I mean you look at this technology I mean I mean obviously James has been in technology forever I mean, Kim's in Hawaii, I'm in Michigan, he's in New York, and we're having a HD video call. I was like, man, the world is changing. This is the time to strike out on my own, for sure.
0: Yeah, and it's good that you're, you're, you you're guys are doing what I call the, uh, the spoke and wheel approach, which is that... Um you know, your trading and your investing interests are at the spoke, but then, oh, let's do a podcast. Let's do a course, let's do a book or whatever it is you decide to do. Let's put the podcast on YouTube. Let's put the podcast on iTunes. And so you kind of take a core interest and, you know, you're trading and then you're doing this, 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 this. You kind of find as many ways as possible to sort of monetize that interest. And by the way, all these ways are fun because what if you're interested in something, what could be more fun than talking to other people interested in the same thing? Not exactly.
2: It. Yep. Yep. That's true. So, sorry. Kim, what, what, you know, we, we were chatting beforehand, kind of what, what, what led you to, to James and, and ah, what you, you ah, had, you had a story ah, as well. Where this is like, James is like, it's almost embarrassing. This is like a fanboy
0: podcast. Fan no, boy, no, I, fanboy, fanboy, fan I, girl. <laughs> I also get death threats, so this is a good balance for that. <laughs> I could read you one right off my text that I just got. I just, I'm sorry, Kim, I'm going to interrupt you for just one second. Then, please. And no, please and no. I, I, um, I was just, the reason I, I have it up because I was just showing it to my kids just to let them know how popular their, their daddy is. Um, this guy uh, texted me. Uh, he, he was sort of rambling about Apple stock. <laughs> and then I don't know why because the only thing I've ever said about Apple stock was in 2004 on Larry Kudlow's show. I said it was going to be the first trillion-dollar market company. Everyone laughed and it was true. But yep. he says, like, I, I can't trust you just like I couldn't trust you on Apple. Uh, uh, starting next week, Please speak to me principally, only via, and he named three names I didn't know. And then he said the big, he's texting me by phone, I, I have his phone number. He said the big payback, and all in caps, I intend to kill you, James. And, like, <laughs> so I, I showed it to my kids. I don't know why, I probably shouldn't have done that. I'm sorry, kids. <laughs>
3: Oh my God. So what, so is that happening to you often where people get mad at you and frustrated with you?
0: I mean, usually only my mother, but uh <laughs> yeah, a lot of, a lot of people, but I don't know. I, I think I was talking to a big YouTuber yesterday and I'm like, oh man, YouTube, you must get a lot of haters. And he was like, no, nah, no, nah, not really. And I'm like, is something wrong with me? Like people either like, really resonate with what I'm saying. And I'm, ne- I never really say anything controversial, I don't think. I mean, okay, controversial, but I never say anything that I haven't experienced. It's not like I'm just spouting. It's not like I'm a, a spectator saying the the New York Jets should have done this. Like, right. like you only should say that if you're the coach and not if you're like the, the one of the one million spectators of the game. And, uh, so I always say things from the point of view of this is my experience. It's not just my opinion. It's my experience. But for some reason people say, no, your experience was wrong. And then they hate me. And I never really could figure that out. And by the way, it's not a lot, but you know, just cognitive psychology, it sort of takes 20 good experiences to balance one bad one. So I get the, I get the bad text or the bad comment and I'm like, Oh, people hate me. But the reality is it's like 95% enjoy what I'm saying. And, and, and they resonate with the message because I experienced it. And 5% are you're like
3: controversial, James. You you are controversial.
0: Because, I don't try to be. <laughs>
3: no, I I get that. I don't I I think you're the least uh, you know, there are people who just try to be controversial just to get kind of clicks. I truly believe your your controversial statements are controversial simply because you think for yourself right. and you don't follow the crowd and you see things that are counterintuitive and that upsets people's comfort zone. And they want to stay in their comfort zone and you make them have to question it. And I think for most people that makes them uncomfortable. And that's yeah, I, I,
0: I, think you're right because like take home ownership, for instance, which I've written about. And I, so I've written, uh, I, I've written, I will People, never people own with, home
2: again. with million dollar mortgages probably get really mad at you.
0: Yeah. Because there's a cognitive bias that they, <laughs> they, they put this huge, investment in. So the brain is telling them, well, this can't possibly be a mistake because I did it. And, uh, uh, but I'm saying I raise questions about it. Like it's not, you know, all these common cliches, like rent is flushing your money down the toilet or, uh, you know, home homes go up in value forever. And it's the safest investment. I question all these things. And I, from not only from my own personal experience, which I've had a plenty, but then also I'll look at like facts and history and so on. And, Uh, uh, But, but again, if somebody has already done it and they have this cognitive bias that I can't be wrong, I have this, you know, I have this sunken cost fallacy is the, is the cognitive bias. They get very, very upset and uh, I can't help it though. I'm just saying what I did. And And, it's it's funny, I, you know,
2: know, I'm sure we'll, we'll link it in the, in the description, but James has a a great blog, blog post, many on on homeownership. And it's like, I tell everyone, I mean, listen, if you're under 35, please don't buy a house. I mean, if you're settled in, you got a business. Okay. Think about it. And like you said, living it, I, you know, listen, I got a house, I got a mortgage, but I've been here for 25 years. I have no intention of going anywhere, but I'll tell you this. I also have rental houses and I'm like half-ass jealous of these renters because something breaks. I pay for it, property taxes. I pay for it, insurance. Yeah. I pay for it, and I'm like, I mean, they, they these renters got it pretty good,
0: <laughs> right? And and you know, you, two things people always say: oh, rent matches the mortgage. You know, the owner just passes the mortgage that, uh, over to the rent. That's not always the case because price is not determined by the owner. Price is determined by supply and demand of the buyer. So if rents are going down in your area, you have to just rent for what you can. It's not, no, no, my mortgage is this, so you have to pay this. Well, if everybody else is charging less than that, then you can't rent your place. Yep. And, or, and the other thing that can't be determined is you don't know if the property taxes are going to go up, so that's random. And you don't know what the maintenance for the year is going to be, so that's random. Now, there's some insurance that will take care of some of that, but still. And you have no control over home prices. So not that this is a podcast about uh, owning a home, but just think if someone said to you, uh you know let's say someone said kim or tim like uh uh i want you to buy apple stock i want you to take all the money in your bank account and put all of it in apple and then i want you to go to bank the bank and i want you to go i want you to go 400% more in debt and put it all in apple and you would say to yourself that's the worst idea ever and that's what people do with the house and yep. they justify it by saying oh well uh, you know, housing prices have never gone down, which is not true. And then they justify it by saying, well, okay, I need roots for my kids, but there's plenty of ways to do that. And it's unclear that kids benefit one way or the other. You know, kids don't care if you rent or own or move or whatever. Right. Um, so, you know, and then there's, I don't know, then you can't sleep at night. Like when you lose your job or you're, you're having some volatility as an entrepreneur. Oh my God, I can't sleep at night. And I got used, I got so much. PTSD over owning a home. And I'm over you I don't like to use that phrase, but I got so anxious about owning a home. I lost two homes in my time over the past thirty years. But uh uh I I didn't even want to rent. I just Airbnb'd for two years. Uh I was so gun shy about being attached to any one home. Yeah. And and like you said, for when you rent, by the way, it's like you pay a fraction. You could rent a huge Place or a small place or whatever for just a tiny fraction of what the owner is paying for it, and with one tenth of one percent of the stress the owner has, yep. you know, depending on their life situation. So true. so
3: true. It's so, I think, but I think the way you think about things and the way you look at things is unique, and not everybody does that. And so it kind of throws them for a loop when you put that stuff out there. But, and also about, you know, considering whether young people should go to college or not a lot of young people i've suggested read your book um and not just to decide about college or not college but just to start to think for yourself and to not necessarily follow you know the crowd and so i want to ask you about traders because most of our audience yeah is traders they're young traders a lot of them are you know young men. trading Yes. So, so let's just tell me if these people are the, the for the most part they are young men there are women too what is your best advice to them if that is what they want to do at 25.
0: Okay. Very very important. Somebody wrote me the other day and said I can return 25% a year uh no problem uh uh how do I raise a billion dollars for a hedge fund? <laughs> and I said you can't, you can't (laughs) because a, you have to prove it, right? So you have to, uh, particularly if you're raising money, you have to do some sort of back test, like a statistical test to show that your strategy would have worked over time. And then you have to forward test, meaning you have to trade your own money for like a year, two years and, uh, demonstrate that you could do it. And then you might. There's still only a one percent chance you might be able to raise money. But better, you could probably go to a day trading firm or one of these trading banks that kind of leverage you up during the day, and and you could trade there. They don't care if you go broke or not. Um, uh, but they'll lend you the money because they'll charge you huge fees, and you know then you could try. Uh, but uh, I do think it is possible to make a living day trading. So I'll I'll just say that up front. But I think it's ve- like anything that's super competitive, that's essentially, it's competitive the way a popular athletic sport is competitive. Like there's only gonna be a few people, like even if you take tennis, all right? The, the number one tennis player in the world will make tens of millions of dollars a year. But number 200, number one, numbers 100 to 200 will make a living, not even like a great living, but they'll make a solid living. And then below the number 200th tennis player on the planet they won't, they'll have to get another job. And so day trading is a little bit like that. Like maybe there's a little, maybe it's like, you know, one through 300 can make a living, but, um, it's very, very difficult. And one thing that's really important is so, so, so so rule number one. So, so idea number one is that you can do it, but it's very hard. Uh, and then along with that, this is sort of cliche, but read every book you can about trading, investing, running a corporation because ultimately of course when you buy a stock even for a minute you're buying a piece of a company so you have to understand a little bit about how companies work which is different than trading um but read every book you can about trading before you have an opinion so some people will say well definitely uptrend you know day trading on trends is good or or some people will say day trading on counter trends is good or day trading with options is good Read every book and every counterpoint before you have an opinion on what you think trading is, and because uh, there's there's hundreds of books, and yet you have don't even start until you've read a hundred, and also until you've you know done what you guys do, like you know you you talk to the best traders, like you go to someone like Tim Sykes conference or other conferences. There are good traders out there who do conferences because. They like to share their knowledge and they like to meet other traders and so on. It's, it's not this insidious conspiracy to kind of, you know, like Tim Tim Sykes would do fine if he was just tra- day trading by himself, but he's a very social guy. He likes to, and he makes money s- selling tra- day trading courses too, which is a legit thing to do because he's, he's giving good advice. But, um, uh, you know, the other thing is, is that always ask yourself, what is my edge? Because when you're day trading from your basement at home, there's another hundred million people who are competing against you and it is a competition. Like you're if you're day trading and another person is day trading on the other side of your trade, one of you will win and one of you will lose. Now there's arguments to suggest that day trading is, is not always a zero sum competition that everybody could win because some people have different time frames, like a long term investor might be liquidating. His or her portfolio, and you benefit from that by day trading it. So I'm not saying it's it's me versus them, but a lot of the a lot of the daily activity in the market is a me versus them. Uh, not all of it, but some of it. And so you have to ask yourself why why am I do I know something about the markets that is better than the other hundred million people trading today, and or ten million people, whatever is the number I'm making up the number. And you, whether your answer is right or wrong, you have to have an answer that you really, really think is true. And then you'll be proven right or wrong over time. But you kind of – if you just do it haphazardly without knowing – without thinking you know the answer to that, then you're certainly going to lose. Do you and, still
3: trade, James?
0: Excuse me? Do you still trade? No. I traded for, gosh, uh, like 13 or 14 years. And I've traded, I've day traded professionally. I've day traded for, meaning I've tra- day traded other people's money as well as my own. Uh, and I've day traded my own money for large banks. And I also just day traded haphazardly. So I started off as a super bad day trader and it took me a long time to get to break even and a long time to get to be good. And uh
3: in addition to the concept of reading all the books you can is there any other habit i know you love chess is there any other habit you would recommend to a trader that they should cultivate to help them be good at it
0: well you should you should learn how to um so two things there one is what i said also is like you should talk to very good traders so you read from very good traders but you should also talk to them and have them in your network so i used to i built up my own kind of network of traders that i liked and we would text each other in the mornings, what are you looking at? What are you looking at? What are you looking at? And so you build up an idea of how other traders think and other styles and approaches. There's no one philosophically correct or incorrect approach. Um, you also It's also very important. You have to handle the psychology of, of trading. So it's, it's very tempting to have uh, a strategy and then the one day it doesn't work. You're like, oh, this strategy is all wrong. I've got to build a whole new system. And. It's very important to be consistent and learn over time rather than change day by day. And, and one way you be, you can be consistent is, uh, you know, another, this is a very important pillar of day trading, but money management is extremely important. You have to day trade as small amount of money, of money as possible to get the returns that are satisfactory to you. So if you're just day trading, $50 a day that's never going to be good enough. But let's say you have $100,000 in the bank account and you're day trading with leverage $200,000 a day, that's probably too much. Like with $100,000 in the bank, if you're day trading with $10,000, you 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 might be able to put put up the returns, you know, depending on your strategy. All this depends on your strategy. You might be able to put up the returns that are good enough to make a living and keep learning and building your your um Your bankroll and so on. If you're throwing around $100,000 a day and one day you're down 10%, you just, that's pretty bad. You're going to get scared. You won't be able to sleep at night. So you want to kind of day trade the amount that in a worst case scenario, you could still sleep at night. And, uh, so again, I'm not any, I'm not saying any particular strategy here because we could talk, we could get down to strategies in a second, but money management is really important. And, and by the way, I'm still an investor, so I invest, uh, but I invest long term now. Uh, and when I invest long-term, I make sure I never use more than 1% of my portfolio for any long-term investment. So if, so if an entire company goes bankrupt, it still doesn't affect my sleep. Sleep is the sleep is the killer. And most day traders I know don't sleep. Yeah, exactly.
2: uh, (laughs) One, one point you made that I, that I love, you know, we, this is called the steady trade podcast because. You know, we really, really preach having that long-term approach. And and we, you know, what one of the biggest things I talk about, you know, and I got this from Sykes basically, but is that idea that in my opinion, day trading should just be, you know, for lack of a better term, a side hustle, you know, and just like you said, in that I like your tennis analogy. I mean, you can be, you know, a top 200 tennis player and make 50 grand a year. And, you know, if you're day trading and you got a a day job with benefits, you know, health insurance, retirement plan, and you're making 10, 20, 50 grand a year, you don't need a billion dollars. You know, you don't need to be number one in the world at tennis to nicely supplement your income. I mean, hey, I don't know anybody that wouldn't like, you know, an extra 10, 20, 50 grand managing money management, low risk, you know, and being smart with it but that can make a real difference in your life and something that Absolutely. i always i always talk about is the beauty of the market is i mean you can just walk away at any point you know that that's that's one thing with you know with my rental houses i mean i can't just ignore them you know the great thing about right. trading you just close your positions for the day and you got zero risk overnight you get you you can come back in a week so that's why i think trading is the one of the best side hustles out there
0: yeah i agree and look if you're I mean, look, if you, let's say, like you said, you make 50 grand uh, you're viewing day trading as a side hustle. Okay, now that's, you've got the core of the wheel. Now, what are the spokes? Well, yep. you could do, uh, you could start blogging about day trading and maybe make a little money that way or get your name out there. Then you could start a podcast about day trading. Who knows if that makes money? Then you could, you know, join a network, maybe find other opportunities like join up with a bunch of traders, start a hedge fund. Uh, or some, or work for some kind of bank that, that funds day traders. Uh, you could write a course and sell it like Tim Sykes has done. Uh, and he teaches other people how to do, or it's, it's not that hard to make a course, but, uh, uh, or you could start trying other strategies, like you could do day trading, medium term trading, long term trading and diversify. I think it's very important to diversify your strategies because, yep. you know, if you, if you hit a financial crisis like, 2008 like think about september or october 2008 and you said you started in 2007 yeah well every day trading strategy did not work in september of october of 2008 so you kind of if you have if you have a diversification of day trading strategies you're more likely to survive kind of those black swan events which will happen as nasim fled points out greater than it more times than it should it'll happen once every 10 15 years and you know t- there's a lot of examples really from the past 20 years, but you know, the last significant one was uh, the financial crisis. Um, but yeah, I agree. And then look, what if it's the only thing you do? I, I don't really know that many people where it's the only thing you do. <laughs> right. uh, uh, again though,
2: unless they're like crazy, like just dialed in, you know, and, yeah. and I, I don't think many people are wired that way. you
0: know? <laughs> No. And the markets are changing all the time and more information is getting in the markets. I don't mean insight information, but more information about what strategies work. Because you think about it, there's there's thousands of hedge funds with all these PhDs running computer models every single day. So if there's kind of, if like, oh my gosh, I found some little trick in the market, trust me, that only lasts like a few days before some <laughs> PhD at Renaissance Technologies, you know, has a supercomputer using AI that also figures out that little you know, anomaly in the markets that, that can get squeezed for a little bit of money. So you have to be very creative all the time to kind of come up with opportunities, or you have to, you have to say to yourself, okay, well, the big hedge funds are not playing with this set of stocks, like let's say micro cap stocks. So you could say, okay, well, I might have a, a I have a greater chance for an edge with not with Apple because all the hedge funds are in Apple, but with some tiny XYZ stock or some Canadian stock or some stock on an African stock exchange or whatever. Uh, so, I, I would say constantly study the art of and science of investing and read the biographies of all the great investors. They were, co- even Warren Buffett was constantly switching strategies all through his career. People are obsessed with saying Warren Buffett's a value investor. Okay, that was one strategy he used, but he also did other strategies all the time. And, uh, uh, people, people, people almost view that as religion, like, no, he didn't. He's a value investor. Okay, I could give you a hundred examples where he wasn't. So, uh, uh, he he's a trend investor. He's a counter trend investor. He's short term, long term. He's he's a he's a bond investor. He does lots of different types of investing styles.
3: So, are right, fear? talk. I'm sorry. Tim, did no, you, go ahead. Just fear. You you. One of the things I love about you, and part of what you helped me solve, was fear of you know. Who do, who do I think I am? I, was, I wanted to write a book. It was very controversial. I had people tell me not to do it, and I just had this burning desire to do it. And I was coming here to the Big Island. I got an opportunity to house it for uh, long-term to write the book, and I was flying into the Big Island during the daytime reading Choose myself, and I couldn't put the book down. It was giving wow. me fuel in my tank. To stay with my dream of putting this book down, even if nobody read it and that was because of you. So how do you or how did you learn the techniques to overcome your fear? You talk about your fear so vulnerably. All the years I've read your blog posts, you're so honest about how it could cripple you at times. So for the listeners, what, what is it that you give them as a technique for conquering their fear?
0: This is such a, this is such a great question because it's really, the defining doorway towards success. So either the, the, the doorway to success on the other side of that door, right? You're living in your world, right? And then on the other side, there's this door on the other side of that door is the world of success, but on that door is a skull and bones. It's fear. It's uh, death to all who open this door. <laughs> And so you say, well, I'm not going to open that door. I'm going to, I'm fine right where I'm sitting right now. And so you never open that door, but then you won't experience that other side. So, so part of it is, so, so there's two things. One is you got to, you got to lean into the fear. You got to open it knowing that the reason there's fear there is because no one wants to go there. But, but if you look at all the successful people in history, by definition, they're the only ones who open that their particular door. Like you could only, you're only going to find success in the in the room where there where nobody else is. Like if everybody's there, you're not. It's okay. Hey, everybody, I guess we're all here now. We used to be all there. Now we're all here. So you're not. You're not. Success. Success is a competition. You. Some people are successful. Some people are not. So you've got to lean into it and say, let's say you're writing. Um, I actually don't like to publish anything. Unless I actually, I literally think to myself before I hit publish, am I afraid to hit publish on this? Am I afraid what people will think of me? If the answer is no, then I don't publish it. In most oh, yeah. cases, oh. because because if I'm writing something that I'm not afraid of what people will think of me, then probably someone else has written this, and then I'm right. not saying anything unique or interesting. But if I'm afraid then oh people are going that means people are going to talk about it you know assuming my skills as a writer this is all assuming you have the skills and so on but assuming my skills as a writer and a storyteller etc are okay uh a, a big help in writing is if you personally are afraid what people will think it's just like if you're telling a joke if you personally are laughing at your own joke as you think it's funny then it's probably it's funny at least to you so it's probably funny to somebody else if you don't think a joke is funny probably no one else will think it's funny but uh, uh, with with writing, with starting a business, you know, with starting a podcast, it's all scary. Will people listen to this? Will, am I saying something interesting? Uh, it's scary. Like, I'm about to spend some time. So you have to really lean into it and assume, okay, let's maximize this, this fear. Let, let's find all the opportunities inside this fear because no one else is there. So that means there must be a lot of opportunities for me. If I'm afraid means everyone else is afraid that means there's probably more than one opportunity there's probably i could probably write a book i could probably write articles for lots of places i could probably do a podcast about this on and on i could probably coach about this on and on and on um, when did you learn this james
3: How, when did you know that this what you had to lean into the fear
0: i think i think i've always was unfortunately instinctively doing it i say unfortunately because this will lead to point number two about fear <laughs> um but then i maybe i think in the past Um, 10 years, I really, I really realized that every time it seemed like something bad was happening to me, I can actually turn the the situation completely upside down. I can say, why is this bad? And turn it upside down and find good in it. Not that I'm not saying there, it's not the same as saying there's a silver lining in every uh, cloud. I'm saying like, well, you know, one time, well, this was during the I'll give an example from the financial crisis. Uh, So during that one period, uh, because I was very optimistic about the markets in the long run, that wasn't getting a lot of favorable treatment from people. So, so TV networks stopped booking me as much to be a pundit. And at first I was thinking, oh my gosh, is my, is one of, is one of my spokes over? Is one of parts of my career over? I'm not going to be on television anymore. Uh, And I got scared. And but then I figured, okay, you know what? Maybe right now that's true. Maybe forever it's true. I'll move out of the city. I'll move more to the countryside, and I'll focus on writing, which I did, which that led to my most successful book, which you read, Choose Yourself, and led to other books and other opportunities. And suddenly, my audience became 10 times what my audience was, even when I was regularly appearing on television. By the way, when the market started going up again, I was regularly on television again. So, So... This thing that I thought was going to be super bad, I decided, you know what? It's not so bad. It actually gives me an enormous amount of free time. I don't have to be around the TV studios as much, and I can focus on other things that I'm passionately interested in. Or let's say a business is starting to fail that I'm doing. I can say, well, okay, I thought this was going to be bad, but maybe now I'll sell it. I'll sell it for a lot less than I thought I was going to get, but now I've got some cash and I can start some other activity. You know, that's another example or, you know, so so I, fi- I find now almost every single time, it's almost like an instinct now because it's happened to me so many times. As soon as something bad happens, I automatically almost clap inside because that means there's an opportunity here also. If somebody else is doing – because a lot of times when something bad is happening to you, it's happening bad for irrational reasons. Someone else is being irrational and that means whenever there's someone being irrational and you know this from trading. That means you can use it as an opportunity to, let's say in trading, make money by taking the opposite side of that trade. And it's the same thing with all situations in life. The, the second point about fear though is don't give yourself – don't be the creator of your fear. So don't uh, don't put yourself in a situation you can't handle. Like let's say you have $100,000 in the bank and you borrow $200,000 and you put it in all Apple stock and then the market crashes. Well, you just gave yourself a fear that uh, you know, it's good to have a healthy amount of fear but not insane amount of fear. So don't don't and when you write, you're giving yourself fear, but it's not an insane amount of fear. With trading, you could potentially give yourself an insane amount of fear. You want to make your fear manageable. It's not it pro- if you have no fear on a trade, the trade's probably not going to work because everyone else is thinking the same way you are. Oh, here's a good easy trade. If everyone's in that trade, you won't make any money. But a healthy amount of fear leads to success, and in in in, that is the only way to have success is to go through that door of fear. And I can give every example in my life and in other people's lives. I mean, Richard Branson, being a twenty-seven-year-old, you know, music magazine publisher, decided, you know what. For all for the past 100 years, there's only been British Airways. That's the only airline in England, and it's kind of a government monopoly almost. I'm going to compete against British Airways. I'm a 27-year-old kid with no money. I'm going to just create another airline. (laughs) He had to be afraid, but he then figured out how to reduce the fear. He didn't buy an airplane. He borrowed an airplane for free from Boeing, and he had skills like persuasion, so he was able to persuade Boeing to lend – this 27 year old kid, an airplane for a year. And he, so he did things to reduce. Once you have that fear, then you do things to reduce it. And that's what gives you your edge and gives you more opportunities. So, so that's the two things, which is you have to have fear to have success. But like the fact that you have fear about writing your book, that's a sure sign that, okay, you're, you're going in the right direction. The, the second thing is, is that, um, uh, uh, then, then you have to find ways to manage the risk and reduce risk people think entrepreneurs are risk takers it is totally not true you only take the risk when you come up with as many ways as possible to reduce the risk entrepreneurs are risk averse oh, Richard yeah. Branson yep. borrowed the plane he didn't buy the plane mm-hmm. you know so so uh, again with trading
3: That's awesome I've never heard anybody say that entrepreneurs are risk adverse
0: yeah yeah that totally like uh think about trading so before you make a trade you look at hundreds of, of you 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 backtest statistically your trading strategy or you you figure out uh, you know look at Warren Buffett he he won't invest uh, Warren Buffett's a great example he might invest in a risky it seems like a risky investment but he'll he'll invest his biggest investments now he'll do it as debt that converts into stock but if he never converts the debt into stock he knows in a bankruptcy he could liquidate the assets of the company to pay back all his investment like i don't think warren buffett takes any risks anymore and yet he's the best investor in the world at the moment so and has been for 50 years so he's a very risk averse investor i've never seen him actually take a huge risk yeah
2: uh, even, even when when i started out the business you know we started out in the mid 90s you know, we were building computers, you know, you, you, you'll remember those days yeah. when you, when you, you know, built your own computers. So we would, uh, I mean, again, as entrepreneurs, we're, we're 25 year old guys, but I mean, we wouldn't, we wouldn't order any equipment, anything until we had a deal done. I mean, we were, yeah. you would think, oh, this crazy technology startup, but we would just, we would get the deal done then we'd order the stuff overnight. We'd stay up all weekend building these computers and deliver them on Monday. So you would think, "Oh, crazy risk," but no, no, we were great. We were super conservative. <laughs>
0: That's a great example because, like, so I started a business in the nineties, and a I stayed at my full-time job for eighteen months after I started my business. So I would work during the day at my job and then all night at my startup. Yep. We 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 had. We had a you know over a million in revenues and, and ten employees before I jumped ship to, to the company I was CEO of, <laughs> and uh, and and it was we always had clients uh, and we always baked in the profit in every deal. But you know, great example, Damon John, you know the guy, he's on Shark Tank, he started FUBU. So he once mortgaged his mom's house to have <laughs> money to start his business. But but the flip side of that is. He had an he had a hundred thousand dollar order from Macy's yep. first. Yep. And then he mortgaged his mom's house like on a Friday. He hired seamstresses to work all weekend, make the hats and gloves and shirts and whatever, deliver them to Macy's, and then paid back the mortgage within a week because then Macy's sent him the hundred thousand dollars. And that's how business is done. Yep. Like yeah. you, you know, that's that's real business. Instead you have this kind of Silicon Valley myth like I'm going to quit my job. I have a great idea. The, the, the,
2: and, the, the field of dreams model, you know, yeah. build it, build it and they'll come.
0: Yeah. Right. Like I'm going to make the Uber of nannies and, <laughs> you know, I'm going to raise a lot of money for it and quit my job and, and then I'm out of business. I've seen so many companies go out of business where I don't like to invest in like the typical tech startup because those people don't know anything about business. You know, business is what we're talking about here. And it's not about like, oh my gosh, I'm going to make, you know, robots that can, Mine for rare earth minerals on the moon and <laughs> that that just doesn't really work that that well so right, then, go
3: oh
2: ahead. go ahead nope you're up you're up
0: okay so i'm just curious out
3: of five you've done over 536 uh, podcasts yourself
0: yeah well uh, m- many more actually just with the james altucher show oh, that's right. i've done oh, 536 no i i used to do a podcast called question of the day with Stephen dubner who wrote for economics and i used to um i used to have a podcast called ask altucher so i probably done well over a thousand podcasts
3: what do what is the most surprising thing having done all those interviews and conversations that you've come away with top three
0: you know it's hard to say because i i always i ask this question every day like how if i've talked to 530 plus of my of my heroes of the people who are who are the the best peak performers on the planet in every industry. And I always wonder, how would my life have been different if I never spoke to any of them? Because they all teach me so many lessons. So I don't really know the answer. I would say, you know, they they all have a very big focus on keeping healthy, keeping emotionally healthy, like not having toxic relationships in their life. They're always incredibly curious, very, very curious. They're always asking question after question after question about, you know, when they're starting up, they're, they're trying to understand everything it is about what they're doing. And, and, and that get leads to their creativity. They're very creative. And, uh, uh, and I would say they're very competitive, but that's part of the curiosity. So they can learn more than, than everything else. And, and they're, they're, and in they're, in the, in the very disciplined. But I would say also, it's kind of like what we were talking about with beer. They want to always go to the room least crowded. So mm-hmm. someone like Danica Patrick, who was a, you know, a woman and one of the greatest race car drivers, she went to the room least crowded. There weren't that many female race car drivers. So that kind of propels you to success. It's the room least crowded for her. And, and again, you want to, it's not just one skill. Right, she didn't just have skills at driving; she also had skills at how to market herself. You know, to be successful, you have to learn how to have have some charisma, some communication ability. That's like like I'm sure I'm,
2: I'm sure you probably follow Scott Adams. You know, he talks about yeah. that that talent stacking
0: type idea. You know, yeah, yeah. So Scott Adams, I I love that guy. He's been on my podcast a bunch of times, uh, and we we talk all the time. I love a lot of his ideas about the the talent stack. Where, uh, if you combine, and there's a lot, there's a lot of people kind of think about those theories too, but, uh, if you combine a bunch of skills, what's the intersection of all those skills? That's where you could be unique at. Like if you're a science, let's say you're, you, let's say you studied chemistry in school and graduate school, but now you want to write about sports. Well, the intersection of the two can create the first person who's writing about sports with a scientific point of view. So that, you know, David Epstein wrote this book, Range, but he was the top writer at Sports Illustrated. He had a, a geology background. and became the fastest uh, promoted guy at Sports Illustrated because he was always looking at, science, at, at sports from a science, a much more scientific point of view than the other writers. So again, was he the best at analyzing sports? No, he was a young guy. Was he the best geologist in the world? No, he quit. But the combination, he was the best guy or one of the best in the world at looking at sports from a science point of view. So stuff like that is, is, when you combine things, you're surprised at what you find. I have a background in in writing, and I have a background in computer. I studied computer science in school, but then I quit to become a writer. Well, much later, when I was started studying investing, uh, I was able to write software to backtest my trading strategies and to analyze them. And then I was able to write about them, and that so I had two forks to my career. One is I was trading, and the other is I wrote for theStreet.com, then the Wall Street Journal. Then I was writing a bunch of books about finance. So, again, it's that kind of combining uh, two things. A lot of them do that. So that I think that's very interesting. So again, Damon John will use uses an example. He was a hip hop guy. Like he was a fan of at the time in the nineties, was a fan of LL Cool J and other rappers that had grown up uh, near where he grew up. And he also loved. He'd see, watched his mom making clothes all her all his life, and he wasn't. He had some skills at that, so he combined the two, and he was the first company to focus on clothing for this, you know, just beginnings of this hip hop culture. So uh, uh, you'll you'll find that most things you're successful at, if you really look at it, it's because you combine two, three, four skills and, and put them together. And I think you know that combined with curiosity, combined with good health, good create. Emotional health, physical health, creative health. Those are our keys to success.
3: And a willingness to walk into the scary room with the skull and cross.
0: Yeah, because it's, you know, in every case, it's not that easy. Damon John did mortgage his mom's house. Uh, uh, His mother must love him. (laughs) She probably does now. I think she was probably a little nervous then. But uh, 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 who knows? But, uh, you know, Warren Buffett. He, he didn't he took he went to the room least crowded he mm. wanted to work on Wall Street his, 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 his mentor Ben Graham had a Wall Street trading firm but instead Ben Graham actually turned him down, said, "I can't hire you Warren. you're a great guy, but I can't hire you and so Warren Buffett went to Omaha. He went as far away from Wall Street as possible and became the most successful investor in the world.
2: So we'll, we'll, we'll kind of head home here. One point I do want to make, um, you know, kind of a quick story, but uh, another thing that I, I greatly thank you for is, you know, wh- back when, when I graduated high school, I went to college, completely wasted my time, had no interest in it. I mean, this is the 90s thank goodness my friend approached me to start the business. I don't even know what I, I'd probably still be in college. I'd be like Bluto from animal house and I'd still be yeah. in college, college today. But so anyway, you know, I, what I, what I'm getting at, what I appreciate with you and choose yourself and your writing about college. My son, he's actually senior in high school and just never been interested in school. You know, it's just, you know, I think it's, you know, unfortunately school for, for young men doesn't really cater to a lot of them. He's an outdoorsman, likes to work with his hands and, you know, it's always one of those struggles as a parent, you know, it's like you, you want your kid to go to college cause it's college, but because of your writing, um, you know, I, I talked to him when, when he was, you know, and going into high school and he's been taking the trade program for welding and he's going to go into, oh, li- right. he's going to go into lineman school after, after, uh, after he graduates and I can't be happier. I couldn't be happier.
0: He's gonna make a ton of money too, and exactly.
2: No and, but but what I mean, what I thank you for is, if I hadn't read some of your stuff, I don't know how I would feel about trade school and lineman school. I read yours, then I start googling it and stuff. And you're, you know, these guys make two hundred grand and they retire when they're forty.
0: You know? Yeah, like you figure <laughs> co- colleges uh, for a combination of reasons had basically a great marketing plan all through the seventies, eighties, maybe the nineties, which is. Oh my gosh! If you learn technology and STEM, you're going to be a huge success. Ignore everything else. But the reality is, the jobs that are never going away are welders, Lining. plumbers. Yep. You know. And by the way, oh, who wants to be a plumber? I don't know who wants to be uh work in a cubicle at Procter <laughs> and Gamble. <It's> just this, <laughs> I would rather be someone who's traveling around and do, getting exercise. And you no, know, yeah. both in both places, you're cleaning shit, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, uh, and then I'd rather make the money with no debt. And by the way, do it for three or four years, then start, do something else, buy a laundromat and, and then buy a chain of laundromats. Like well, that's it. Yeah. yeah. So making, many I possibilities. I mean,
2: if, you're, if you're 25 years old and you're making 150 grand a year. It, so now, you know, versus given, you know, that's the always thing again, that blows me away is if you're in college in something you don't care about and some crap, you know, some liberal arts degree you're down 40 grand a year where, where he could be up 150 a year. So he's net one ninety on the guy that's in college at 25.
0: You know, I know, I know. Like, I'm so proud. One of my daughters wasn't listening to my advice, went to college. And, but after a sophomore year, she dropped out and now she's in New York city pursuing her dreams. And she's yeah. young enough that if she fails, she's still going to, you can't really fail at that age. She's still going to yeah. learn from everything. And that's a better education. You know, in a classroom, you get good at classroom skills. But in the real world, you, get look, you learn real world skills, whether you fail or any, if you fail in a classroom, you, you fail the test. If you fail in the real world, OK, you, you're going to learn something about the real world. So, you know, now all our kids are still getting more and more in debt, learning nothing. And she's learning the real skills required to, to succeed at what she wants to do.
3: I know we're supposed to wrap up, but I have to ask one follow-up to that statement. So the concept of somebody coming out of college and they're about to either go down the path of a full-time job that's a great offer, a lot of money, or they have the opportunity to be an entrepreneur for themselves, what would you recommend they do?
0: Well, the problem is it depends on what kind of student loan debt they have because as soon as you leave college, the government, if you don't start paying that debt and – it's, and it's a big number, unfortunately – if you don't start paying that debt, they're going to garnish your wages. So it's the only type of debt you you, you can't use bankruptcy to get out of that debt. Like the government really hates our 18-year-old kids these days. <laughs> and – and because think about it. If you're 18 years old, it feels like your only two choices are to go to Afghanistan and shoot people or uh, get into a quarter million dollars of debt. and then, Or you feel like a failure if you're not doing one thing or the exactly. other. Exactly. Yep. So, so – you know, I know kids who graduate and they, they graduate from great majors like, I don't know, mechanical engineering. There's no immediate job. Like I don't even know what a mechanical engineer does immediately. So they get jobs as salespeople in eyeglass stores because nothing wrong with that, but it's not what they want to do. and But they have to do it because they have to pay down the debt. They can't really be entrepreneurs. They have to start off as a side hustle maybe and take up the time. But their main focus is how do they pay down that debt? It's, it's the law. So I'm afraid the current situation is going to hurt entrepreneurship in the coming decades or only the people, the, the children of the rich and famous can be entrepreneurs. And that creates, that really is what creates the income inequality we're seeing in the U S where, you know, you, you know, the people with student loan debt meet people at their jobs who also have student loan debt and then have children who will grow up to have student loan debt and then the children of the rich are starting businesses they get richer and 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 so on so it kind of perpetuates itself over generations
3: Yeah, that's a really it's a really sad point but i'm glad you brought it up because i think there are some who are torn between those two options and yet you know i'm always kind of an advocate for entrepreneurship but it's really a valid point that if they have that debt you don't want them carrying that and they probably couldn't pay that off as an entrepreneur
0: yeah, and think about it. A lot of a lot of courses are online for cheap. Like actually you could take the entire MIT MIT is the best computer science department in the planet. You could take the entire MIT course curriculum online. Homework, te- tests, you know, all the books, everything. It's all for free online. And uh, uh and you could I know one guy who finished it in a year. Uh, oh. like, all he did was he studied from the MIT online site and he finished a computer science 4 years of computer science in 1 year because he didn't have to take all the other re- stupid requirements and 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 people were saying to him oh well you, you since you didn't get the degree you'll never get a job and actually employers were saying well actually he took the initiative he's got I the skills right
2: yeah I'd be hiring I, that guy first man
0: yeah that's what <laughs> that's what a lot of employers were saying that's what i say and 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 people don't realize we don't live in a world of degrees now we live in a world of skills so so people are rewarding skills and not certificates so that's something to keep in mind for for the next generation uh, particularly if you want to be an entrepreneur
2: well James I, I know you have to run and I I want I really really appreciate this again you know I, I look thank back you guys at, you know you know again, I, I I just to repeat the fanboyism I mean you you were instrumental in me quote unquote retiring and moving into this to this field and, 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 and more satisfied now. And, and again, I, I, I wonder if I would, how I would feel about my son going to trade school if it. Wasn't reading now I read your stuff and I'm, I'm, a, I'm so excited that he chose that path. Um, and, uh, and then I, I got a favor. I, I do need to ask sure. you a favor. Yeah. You, you, you got to put in a good word with Jocko for me. Okay. My, my number one, I will, I will retire from the podcast. When I get Jocko on the podcast,
0: you know I I just had. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <Don't> your retire. <laughs> we, we haven't we haven't uh, released it yet, but we just had Jocko. Uh, literally, Jocko was just sitting in that chair right there. I, on, well, on I point. think he
2: tweeted or something. I think okay, I saw yeah, it, or somebody did. Maybe yeah, he, maybe he did. Yeah,
0: yeah, he he's been on four or five times. He's such a he's such a great guy. I love well, I love all his books, but I love the title of one of his books, Extreme Ownership. Because yep. I like when I like when titles. You almost don't have to read the book, although I recommend reading the book because it has all the stories, but just, just the concept of extreme ownership. If something bad happens, this applies in everything. Like this applies in trading. If something bad happens, you can't blame like, oh man, somebody manipulated the markets or that the government again, like drove up the the stock market at the end of the day because Trump and whatever. (laughs) And. Uh, You can't blame anyone but yourself. you got to own everything.
3: But that's your title too. That's your title too. Your title says it all, right? Choose yourself. I think that's to read the book, but if they don't read the book, they just hear that title, choose yourself, and everybody gets, wow, it's almost like the concept alone opens people's eyes.
0: Yeah, because people always, people always want to be chosen. Like, please pick me to publish my book. Please pick me to work at your, bank or your company or uh to be a venture cat whatever and you have to just do it like if you want to make a tv show you can make a tv show and put it on youtube the iphone camera is better than cameras from 10 years ago that were made making movies so you can make your own whatever it is you want to do you could do it maybe you can't be an astronaut or a professional basketball player but you could do something related to those things well in hey area hey, of life
2: you, you know, you, you say astronaut, look at Richard Branson. He, he's, he's, he's sending stuff into space. You know, yeah. he started out at a, with a record company,
0: you know. <laughs> right. Exactly. Or, or let's say, you know, you want to be an astronaut, but I don't know. You, you don't have a billion dollars. You could still blog about space, write about space. Look at Dan Carlin. He has a podcast called yep. hardcore history, which he probably makes millions on. I have no idea. He's not a historian and he, but he just does so much research on each topic and he always finds interesting things. Well, now he's more well-known than any professional historian. That's awesome.
3: All right, I have a magical question.
0: Last one. Then we really let you go because I know you
3: have another call happening. If okay. I give you a magic wand, what would you do with it?
0: I think I'd be right here talking to you and living the life I'm living. It love took it. a long time to follow my inner compass, but this is what I love doing is what I do all day.
3: So beautiful. You are just a beautiful human being.
0: Oh, no, Thank you for saying that. You guys
3: are great. You so much. Thank you for doing
2: this. This is amazing. Well, yep, yep again and thank you James and thank you to everyone out there. Um as I always mention, head over to steadytrade.com. We'll link up to everything, you know, to Jim James's book, his podcast. You can go to jamesaltature.com or just google him and find everything. And again, thank you James and thank you to everyone out there listening and we'll see you next time on the Steady
0: Trade podcast. Thank you guys. I appreciate it.
1: That concludes this episode of the Steady Trade Podcast. And as usual, if you have any questions, concerns, or recommendations for us, please check us out at steadytrade.com where we actually post transcripts of the episode and recap blog posts of the episode. It's a great resource if you're looking to expand your trading and get a more immersive experience from the Steady Trade Podcast.